church ought to be like. It is the place where discordant lives are brought into tune through relationships and through Christian fellowships with a loving community of Christ resulting in a beautiful harmony, in a beautiful unity in Christ. Even though we are in uh, uh, February already, would you like to make that, would you like to make it for our resolution, not only for 2012 and years to come? Korean Presbyterian Church is to be a loving community of faith in perfect unity, in a perfect harmony where nobody stands alone. The, the commencement of the process or a baby step toward that final goal, the church in perfect unity, the church in the bond of unity, the church in the perfect harmony should start begin and activate and even instigate today, right now. We have no time. We cannot delay any further. We must start to build that church right now. You may want to know reasons and motives why we should become so. In our text for today, these reasons are described as items of clothing. Imagine someone who has an incredible bad wardrobe. I'm not talking about myself, you know. I already disagree with my wife. Now, I think I got nice clothes, and she said, you know, you have to change your clothes, so and so forth. I'm sure, actually, you have a similar problem in your own family. All our shirts, and think about, and, and we have, uh, think of my wardrobe. All my shirts are too small and permanently dirty and stained. And nothing fits. And if it's someone uh, uh, who has the same problem, the same problem I have, the person looks ridiculous. Perhaps a friend of that person would have the courage to say, hey, my friend, I think you ought to, to make a change. Why don't you make a, a New Year resolution to buy new clothes? Exactly. That's what verse 12 says. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The Lord is asking us to change our clothes. 
We have to put uh, off the old life because we are elect, meaning we are chosen by God. You are chosen by God Almighty. This miracle of divine election does not depend of anything that we are or that we have done. God, in his own holy will and providence, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Isn't that great? God, the Almighty and creator of heaven and earth, has chosen you to be his uh, people, dearly loved people, before the foundation of the world. If God saves a sinner on the basis of merit or work, nobody would be saved. I'm sure I won't be saved. You know, I'm not sure about you, you like good people like you, but I will not be saved because there's nothing good on me. It is all done through God's grace, so that no one can boast, and that it might uh, uh, all bring glory to God. This mystery of election is God's holy secret that belongs to his children only. This is the privilege, this secret of election being known to those who are chosen by God, like you and me. And his word proclaims that we are holy. You are holy, and I am holy. We are holy, even though we are still sinners. We are set apart from the world unto the Lord our God. That means that means holy. We are being separated. We are not our own. We belong completely and decisively to Christ because we have trusted in Him. He is the one and only God. He is the holy creator who loves us. And He has also forgiven our sins. The truth of the matter is that God's forgiveness is complete and final. It is not conditional or partial. It is not something that might be done in the future. It has been done already and it will not be changed. It will not be reversed. It is not what we have achieved, but simply the sacrifice of our Savior Christ Jesus on the cross that achieved, and what achieved that for us, so that we cannot boast ourselves. Indeed, God has forgiven us for Christ's sake and not 
for our own sakes. Think about this. Chosen by God, set apart by God, loved by God, and forgiven by God. They are all add up to grace. Therefore, we believe that we are being saved by faith through grace alone. By the way, that is the key understanding of Reformed theology. We are being saved by grace alone. Since we have received these uh, gracious blessings, we must realize that we have uh, solemn responsibilities before God. We must put off uh, sorry, we must put on the beautiful grace uh, of, uh, of the Christian life. Let's, put, let's take off the old life, which was, uh, which was the part of the world. Let's put on the new, the quality of a new life in Christ, because we are new in Christ. The old has gone, the new has come. We are new in Christ. Please look at the verse 12. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. The first piece of clothing we have to put on is tender mercies or compassion. A compassionate person is someone who not only uh, balances his checkbook, but wants to help the people around him. As believers, we therefore need to display tender feelings or compassion towards one another in the church, at home, and even at work. Kindness is the next one. Kindness includes not only saying nice things, but kindness is doing right thing, doing nice thing. Kindness is more likely action words. It's not just words. It's actually acting, active words. Kindness is doing nice things. If I stop here, that's more like a lecture of ethics. But gospel goes beyond the teaching of ethics. God fulfilled what he promised to his people in doing accordingly so. God promised and he achieved accordingly. It is in fact God's kindness toward us through Christ by which we have been saved. Through the cross of Christ and his kindness on the cross, we belong to God's family. We are his children and we shall live uh, uh, with him in heavenly kingdom forever. The next clothing we have to put on is humility or 
humbleness of mind. Humility means that we recognize our own weaknesses. Our own weaknesses. You might think you are strong, you have every ability to do everything well. But we have to know who we are in the sight of God. Before him, we don't think about how great we are. On the contrary, the contemporary secular world does not admire humility. Instead, they admire pride and domination and powerful strength. Being humble in this world means you are a loser in society. That's a sad part of the uh, uh, worldly uh, wisdom, isn't it? Being humble means you are weak. You are a loser in society. Look at our Savior Christ Jesus, who is God the Creator. King of kings, humbly came into the world. Not to be served, but to serve others. Eventually, suffering himself to be crucified for the sins of the whole world, for the sins of his people, you and me. That's humbleness. He has never ever demonstrated his divine power and, and strength and authority in order to boast himself. He did not pursue his own way, but followed his father's will faithfully and obediently. We therefore should follow the footsteps of our God, our Lord, and properly estimate ourselves in the will of God. As did Jesus, we should be with humility of mind and think of others first and not of ourselves and humbly follow God and obey his word. Jesus also reveals his, uh, his gentleness and his meekness, again, which is not weakness. After all, he is not a loser. He is not a failure. He is not a false prophet or a teacher. He is too strong. He is too powerful for the world to deal with. However, he keeps his power, his authority, his strength under total control. It was his gentleness it was his long-suffering on the cross which saved each and every one of us. So, let's give thanks to God <clears throat> who has been patient, who has been patient with us for a long time. I'm not sure of you, 
my actually experience with my God and his love is patience. Sinners like me, he could judge me, he could punish me long, long, long time ago. But he has been patient with me for a long, long, long time. That's his gentleness. That's his kindness again. And we call love and grace. God is mercifully forbearing toward sinners. He holds back his judgment so that people will get a second chance to turn their lives and accept Christ Jesus, their Lord and Savior. Without his long-suffering patience, we would have been punished and never become his children. We never become uh, chosen people. We never become holy. Having studied verse 12, why don't we make those spiritual attributes to uh, be character, characteristics of our church? Current Presbyterian church is a church of kindness and patience and gentleness. We will be the church that uh, there will be compassionate. Our church will be kind. Our church will be humble. Our church will be gentle. Our church will be patient. We will deal with the people with a new way, a nicer way, a way that pleases God and witnesses our faith in Christ. Let's look at second a second part of next cloth. We have again a second set of spiritual clothes we have to put on in verse 13. It is forgiveness. In verse 14, 13 says, Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It is indeed Christ-like to forgive, according to Ephesians 4 and verse 32. Think about this. Jesus, our Lord, could have many grievances against us. Again, I'm not sure about you. This can be my testimony. All the things Jesus wants us to do, let's be honest with each other, we don't do them. All things that Jesus doesn't want us to do, and we do, we do them all. But Jesus forgives whatever grievances he has against us. He even wipes all the sin out of our account and he holds no grudge. He doesn't say to us, I forgive you, but I will remember what you did. That's not Jesus saying. 
No, Jesus forgives us and he forgets. Isn't that right? He forgives us and he forgets. It is as though it had never happened. That is how Jesus forgives us. And that's how Jesus wants us to forgive the people around us. Sure, you have uh, legitimate reasons to be upset or angry with the people or sometimes. But, he says, forgive. Forgive. Jesus says, forgive the way I have forgiven you. The way he has forgiven us, we should forgive others. Let me remind you about uh, uh, Sunday school teaching. And then Jesus told Peter, and he, and he asked, how many times should I forgive? And, he, and Jesus told Peter, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. It means Forgive completely, forgive perfectly, and forgive perfectly and forget. Wouldn't it be nice that our church becomes a forgiving church as Christ forgave us? The last and the biggest clothing piece is love in verse 14. This is the most important of Christian virtues. And it acts like the girdle. I'm sorry, using girdle, and probably ladies will know the, the, the function of girdle than, than guys like me. And a girdle that ties all the other virtues together. That's love. The love, love ties and holds all things together. After you have put on compassion, kindness, humility, and gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. After you have put all these other things on, then of all these virtues put on love. What kind of love are we talking about here? There are two words in the Bible for different kind of love. When we think of love, we're probably thinking of the Greek word uh, uh, philio. That, that's what we get Philadelphia, Philadelphia from, the city of brotherly love. That's a two-way kind of love. This is a two-way kind of love. In other words, you love me, I love you back. That's two-way. You love me, I love you back. I love you and you should love me back. I love you because there are, there are certain things that are good about you. In other words, if you are not good, I don't love you. You love me because there are certain things that are good about me. A two-way love. But that's not the word used here for love in verse uh, 14. 
When the Bible says, over all these virtues, put on love, it's talking about a special kind of love. Special kind of love. The Greek word is uh, agape, one-way love. One-way love. In other words, you love me even if I don't love you back. I love you even if you don't love me back. You love me even though there's nothing good about me. I love you even though there's nothing good about you. That's one-way love. It is a strange kind of love. The kind of love that God has shown to the world. The world didn't understand. Even though the world didn't love God, God loved the world. One-way love. Even Even though the world killed his one and only son, God loved the world. Even though we rejected him, we didn't receive him, we didn't give him no, we didn't give him no welcome at all. But God loved us. One way love. Even though people didn't ask for it, Jesus loved them and died for their sins on the cross. That's one-way love. Or we may say unconditional love. God's mysterious one-way unconditional love is telling us to show how spiritual uh, uh, measured people we are with love. In other words, we love someone even though he is unlovable. Even though there are a million reasons not to love someone, we love anyway. I admit that it will be much harder and difficult to love the unlovable. Humanly speaking, that's near impossible. How can we love someone who is unlovable? If it is the case. Always remember. It was not we. It was not we. But God first found us. Reconciled to us. And loved us. Without love. No matter how wonderful things you have done for the church. For the local community. And even for the country. It will be a resounding gong or a, a, a cleansing symbol. It's just noise. It's meaning nothing. When love rules in our lives, it unites the uh, spiritual virtues so that there is beauty and harmony and unity. It says, and of all these virtues put on love, which Binds them all together in perfect unity. Here, perfect unity or perfect harmony is the full expression of love in the Christian community, I mean the church. 
Our church should be a loving community, a community in perfect unity, in perfect harmony. How do we become a loving community? It doesn't happen by simply saying we love one another. Let's love one another. I just said it's an action word. Loving and caring church moves beyond the spoken word. What should we do in order to become a loving church in perfect unity? Here is the answer. Christ. It's not we, but Christ will change us in our church. Spend time, not just quantity, but quality of time with Christ. And he will change you. Spend time learning about his humility at the stable. And spend time learning about his compassion at the cross. Spend time pray, uh, about how he has taken all your sin away and how far he was willing to go to save you. Spend time praying to God. Spend more time with Christ. His forgiveness will then turn you into a forgiver. It should be done by Christ. Let me finish today. It should be our prayer that O Lord Jesus, help us to be more compassionate, more kind, more humble, more gentle, more patient. God willing, the 1st of January 2013, maybe this time next year, help us to be a forgiver, a forgiving church. Help us more and more to show that spiritual and special, unconditional, sacrificial love that you have shown to us by, maybe, by the beginning of the of a new year 2013. We will be rejoicing in Christ because we will have had another year of successful spiritual growth and maturity in Christ. Next time, next year, I, it is my prayer that this Korean Presbyterian Church becomes loving, caring, gentle, and patient church.